In preparation for the message when we get back, I'm asking you to read, if you would, or skim through, or pass over quickly, however you want to do it, the next chapter, chapter 15. Now it's interesting in chapter 15 that we go over some sacrifices. And it's also very interesting that after all the problems that we have seen in chapters 13 and 14, the Holy Spirit leads Moses to present to us the answer is Christ and Him crucified. That's the answer to the problem. Christ and Him crucified as typified in those sacrifices. Now that has to do with the first uh, quite a few verses of Scripture there. I think it's through 30 or so. And then we have a man that went out and collected sticks on the Sabbath day. And then finally we have a passage of Scripture that deals with clothing. And uh, specifically speaking about or picturing the robe that we have in Christ, the robe of righteousness. So just a quick understudy or overstudy or whatever of that next chapter. We have been pleased to be in this book now 14 months. And uh, it looks like we're traveling about uh, a chapter a month. We're in the 14th chapter, and I just want to do a little review here about what's gone on here. It is these two chapters of Numbers, chapters 13 and 14, that are referred to in the book of Hebrews about why they could not enter in. These two chapters share with us to define why man will not enter into, into, embrace, or believe God concerning salvation accomplished by Jesus Christ and if you would turn with me to the, keep your finger there in the book of Numbers, but turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 3 for just a very short reading as we review what has taken place and all that we have seen in these two chapters as the 12 spies are sent into the, into the land, 10 of them come back with an evil report. That word is used by God, an evil report. We have a uh, two come back with a good report because they have another spirit in them. That's the difference. These ten did not have the spirit of God. The two did. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 17, but with whom was he grieved 40 years? Was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest? But to them that believe not. And the last verse, verse 19, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, the land was given to them and nothing was required of them. That's the interesting thing. You know, with salvation, salvation is given and nothing is required on our part. Absolutely nothing. We cannot give anything. It is all provided. But unbelief is not the absence of belief. It is the absence of believing God. Everybody I've ever met has some belief. And some belief about God. In fact, many of us were raised in respectable religions. And we were taught the stories of the Bible. And we thought that was belief. And yet we find that belief is a revealed grace that God gives us in salvation. And that is to believe God. To believe his word. To believe what he had to say about us. I recently was visiting with a preacher and he said uh, he was asked to preach somewhere. And his message was five things I did not know. 
before he was saved. Number one, I did not know I was totally depraved. Number two, I did not know that God elected a people. And you know what the rest of the three were. Five things I did not know. Now, he's not going to go be preaching Calvinism. He went to preach the truth that we find in Christ Jesus. And that is, we are totally depraved, and it took Almighty God and his elective grace to ever save a people that are in that condition. Well, these people, their, their unbelief was not the absence of belief, but it was the absence of belief believing God. And it was not an offer that God had given them, and it was not a plea that God had given them. He said, the land is yours. That's what he said. Salvation is of the Lord. That is what is said today. And we find that salvation is a gift. That's what we find. It is not something that we appropriate by believing on our own or by doing good works. God's word, go thou up and possess it. Unbelief denies God's grace. We heard that this morning in our Bible class. Unbelief denies God's grace. Unbelief is so pronounced in the fact of works. And that's the difference. It produces works, but there's no grace in it. And belief produces grace. And we find out that our works are his workmanship in us. Unbelief is always opposes God. They presumed, we read that word with regard, we'll see that in just a moment, they presumed, they presumed that the possession of the land really had always depended on their will and their ability rather than the promise and the presence of God. They presumed. We find that throughout the scriptures, one of my most favorite incidences, incidences is with Naaman, the leper. I thought... I thought this is the way God would do his business. And it wasn't the way God did his business. We have all of these presumptuous thoughts about God, and yet God erases all of them in the new birth and says, I am the Savior. I gave you what I promised I would give you, the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified, and that's everything. And we look back and say, that's all we need. It's <laughs> all we need. All right. Turn with me back there, if you would, to the book of Numbers chapter 14. We'd like to read, we'd like to read the uh, last few verses of that chapter. Numbers chapter 14. And starting with verse 39. Chapter 13, or chapter 14, verse 39, the scripture says, And Moses told these sayings unto all the children of Israel, and the people mourned greatly. And they rose up early in the morning, and got them up into the mountain, uh, top of the mountain, saying, Lo, we be here, and will go up unto a place which the Lord hath promised, for we have sinned. And last week we brought a message, Being sorry is not enough. They, got, they were sorry they were caught, but that's not enough. God produces a godly sorrow. And that godly sorrow is that we have offended an almighty God. That's what God produces. All right, it goes on here and says, 
And Moses said, Wherefore, now do ye transgress, transgress the commandment of the Lord, but it shall not prosper. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you. My goodness, what a statement Moses makes with regards to a whole group of people that are making plans to go up and possess the land without God. Now, Almighty God said, go up and I'll give it to you. And now they think for a moment that they can go up and get it without Almighty God in their own power, in their own influence. Go not up, for the Lord is not among you, that ye be not smitten before your enemies. For the Amalekites and the Canaanites are there before you, and ye shall fall by the sword, because ye are turned away from the Lord. Therefore the Lord will not be with you. But they presumed to go up unto the hilltop. Nevertheless, now this is our message this morning. Nevertheless, the ark of the covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. What a promise, what a blessing God gives to us that he stayed put. He did not go up there. He did not go after them. He did not follow them. He stayed where he was. He's a solitary creature that is immovable, and his word changes not. All right, it goes on to say, Then the Amalekites came down, and the Canaanites which dwelt at that hill, and smote them and discomfited them, even unto Hormah. What a tragic event took place with these that went up. Now, we have no idea how many went up, but I know this. Moses didn't go up. Joshua and Caleb didn't go up. Probably not many of the Levites went up. And another thing that did not go up, or another two things that did not go up, were those silver trumpets did not go up. Those were the commanding uh, instruments of the children of God. Those represented the gospel, and the gospel did not go with them. It didn't change with them as they went. It didn't change with them when they disagreed with God. That instrument stayed there in the camp with the Ark of the Covenant and with Moses. All God bade them go, and they would not, and he forbade them, and they went. What an anomaly. How characteristic of natural man. God said go, and they didn't. He said don't go, and they did. And that's just, we heard that this morning in the book of Romans chapter 8. For the carnal mind is enmity with God. It is just not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. There's such a contrariness between the law of God, the word of God, and the natural man. They, we say, by our nature, we presume that well, God will change his mind over this, and yet we find out when we're saved, we don't want a God that changes his mind. We don't want a God that moves. We don't want a God that changes. We don't want a God that leaves the camp. We don't want a God that leaves the Ark of the Covenant. We don't want a God that leaves his, his mission, uh, his uh, pastor, his, his prophet, his they're Moses, and he doesn't want, we don't want a God that leaves the gospel. We want the God that is stationary, set there, ready to be looked at in a solitary fashion by the church of the living God. We are so blessed with the words left us by the Holy Spirit. <coughs> Nevertheless, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and Moses departed not out of the camp. It stayed put. What a blessing we can depend on. The Lord does not go with or follow 
folly, or the crowd. He is not influenced by the mob. I don't know how many of you have read this, but it was required reading when I was in high school. It's called the Oxbow Incident. It's about some cowboys. And they think they capture some horse thieves. And amongst themselves, they convince themselves that these are the horse thieves and they need to hang. And so they hung them. And as soon as they hung them, somebody came by and says, oh, that's the wrong guys. Well, that's mob rule. The Lord is not influenced by mob rule. It doesn't matter how many. How many people went up there, it does not say. Probably in the thousands. Because we have approximately three to six million Jews here in the wilderness. So I, I can just easily assume that there was a large contingency of people went with them up there and a great number of people were defeated by the Amalekites and the Canaanites because they were not to go up. God said, go up, you shall be defeated. You know, the Lord changes not his mind, his will, his word, his purpose. Not at all do they change. Turn with me to the book of Hebrews chapter 6 if you would. In Hebrews chapter 6, we have a wonderful statement made by the Holy Spirit through one of the authors of God, through one of the secretaries of God in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17, we read these wonderful words about our anchor. You know, we're not the anchor. Our thoughts are not the anchor. Our, even our belief in God is not the anchor. Our anchor is Christ. He is our anchor. He's the one that keeps us steady. Here in the book of Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 17, it says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel. You know what he had to say to Israel as they started to climb that mountain? Don't go. Don't go. The immutability of his counsel. It was not going to change. It was not going to change as they got farther away. It was not going to change when they got into trouble with those Amalekites and Canaanites. And it was not going to change when they came back and said, you know, we've had a whole host of people killed. His immutability of his counsel, you should not have gone. Continued on. Confirmed it by an oath that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie we might have strong consolation. I like that. It's not enough. God doesn't, isn't enough for us to have consolation. He gives us strong consolation, strong confirmation, strong faith. Here he says, strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope? We have as an anchor of the soul. My goodness, how glorious it is that our God does not move. Our God does not leave the camp. Our God does not leave the church. Our God does not go off somewhere else. Our God is not following the crowd. Our God is not in some great mystical thing. He is with his people, and he has been forever for his people, and he will not leave his people. Hey, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. Now notice what it, this anchor is, both sure and steadfast. Now that's the anchor we have, 
both sure and steadfast. It fades not away. It does not deteriorate with age. The rope that we have in this anchor does not give up because this is God in control of his people, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. What is in the veil in the Old Testament? The holy seat, the mercy seat. Who is our mercy seat? Christ Jesus, the Lord, is our mercy seat. So our anchor goes all the way to Christ. Our anchor goes all the way within the veil. Our anchor goes right to the very purpose, right to the very omniscience and omnipresence of our Almighty God. Whether the forerunner for us has entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. What a glorious thing we have. We have a Lord that does not leave. He didn't follow. You know what? After they left, he didn't even get involved in it. You know, we read there in the book of John, chapter 6 and verse 66. It was brought up in our Bible class. It's one of those verses that just smacks us in the face all the time. About there were many that followed the Lord Jesus because of bread and food. And they even at one time wanted to make him king. But when it came to the gospel, when it came to the truth of the gospel, they did not believe. They did not believe God. And they left him. Now, what did the Lord do with all those folks that left? Nothing. You know what he did to his disciples? He asked them, will you also go away? And our favorite disciple, who speaks for us so clearly, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Later he's going to say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now I might have that turned around too. Peter mentioned both of that, and that's what the Lord shares with us. And when it comes to Thou thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, We take confidence in the Lord's words with regard to that. There's a steadfastness in it, and that is flesh and blood did not reveal that unto you, Peter, but my Father which is in heaven. So he has has a people. He has a people he's going to take care of. He has a people that he will not leave. We have an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. He does not leave on a lark. He is immutable he does not change it is the people that distinguish themselves with not having fellowship that's what happened over there in the book of numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14 they distinguish themselves by not having fellowship with god they were at enmity with the word of god the church's security does not hang on good works On our part, the church's security depends on the stationariness of our God. Turn with me to 2 Timothy while you're there in the New Testament. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I love this passage of scripture because it gives some insight into God and his purpose for his people. He said here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 16. An encouragement for us to shun profane and vain babblings. What is that? That's anything that's not the truth. Profane and vain babblings. You know, it's uh, we can only take so much of that when we're listening to someone on TV, isn't it? (laughs) 
We get onto that channel and it says, the guy starts talking or the advertisement. All you have to do, well, all we have to do is bring our sins to Christ. That's all we have. Their work, or their word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenius and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. You know, if we were back there, we would have heard them say that the resurrection is already past, and if you don't believe it, you're not saved. That's the qualification mark that we have a lot of doctrines that fly around throughout history. If you don't believe it like I do, you're not saved. You know, the scriptures say, He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. That's it. All right, now, verse 19 of 2 Timothy chapter 2, Nevertheless, this preacher and that preacher they failed because they did not believe God. God never gave them that message that the resurrection had already been passed. If the resurrection had been passed, all these people would be in the, in the sky. There would have been already a great judgment. There had already been a statement by the Lord, Welcome, uh, you sheep, on the right hand to the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And those on the left hand, depart me from me, ye workers of iniquity. That had already taken place. So the resurrection hadn't taken place yet. They lied. They brought a falsehood. And here we find, nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure having this seal. I love the seals of God. And you know what? He's the only one that can open them. Find that in the book of Revelation. Now let's notice here, the Lord, this is it, the Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. What is that iniquity there? It's impossible for us to get over our sin. What's the iniquity? Don't fall for the nonsense of these two preachers. Or any other nonsense that preachers bring along. Make sure you have the word of God for it. Here we have, in the book of Numbers, chapter 13 and chapter 14, several thousands of people that had no belief in God. They had a belief. They said they could go do it, but they couldn't. They believed that they could do that great work without God. Now, here, don't fall into that. This is iniquity. Depart from iniquity. Depart from the nonsense. Depart from all of that. What? goes on to say, But in a great house there is not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and of earth, some of honor and some of dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself of these, he shall be a vessel of honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use, and prepared for every good work. So here we have the Lord saying this, the foundation of God standeth sure, having the seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. Now when they all left up there, you know, I, was, I was thinking as Mike was talking this morning about the Lord being able to identify his people. We can't, but he does. And I think about that, that you know, his people have got this, this red hue about them, the Lord recognized, the blood of Christ. I, I'm just... I don't have any idea. But he does know those that are his, and he can identify them. And we can't. So as he looked at those thousands leaving up there, he said, not any of mine are there. 
I know mine. They're not mine. They've demonstrated that they're not mine. They're falling after the folly of Hymenius and, and what's the other guy's name? And Philetus. They're following after that nonsense. They're following after unbelief. They're following a, somebody that doesn't know anything. They're not mine. Now mine are here where I am. I'm here in camp. I'm staying here in camp. Mine are right here with me. Here is Joshua. Here is Caleb. Here is Moses. Here's the high priest. They're right here. But those guys, they're not mine. They left. How? 1 Samuel chapter 4, we read about an event where Israel, in 1 Samuel, where Israel is in a fight. You know, the first thing they want, because they've been defeated, what's the first thing they want? Let's go get the ark. 1 Samuel. Turn back there with me, if you would, to 1 Samuel and chapter 2. 1 Samuel chapter 2, and these words are recorded as the children of Israel are in a fuss. And it says, Chapter 4, yes. I had it written down right and said it wrong. That's that aging process. <laughs> okay, First Samuel chapter 4. The word of the Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went out against the Philistines to battle and pitched beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines pitched at Apek, and the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. This is the Napoleonic way of fighting. Line up, line up, go into battle. Now, it is always good to be in conflict with the evil. But here we have two groups, evil against evil. And they're going to identify themselves. Verse 3, and when the people were come into camp, the elders of Israel said, now they've been defeated, 4,000 men have died. Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of the enemies. Now isn't that interesting? We have a, back there in camp at Shiloh, we have a lucky rabbit's foot. That's all it was to them. It wasn't a symbol of God. It wasn't a symbol of Christ. It wasn't a symbol of mercy. It was not a symbol of that. It was a symbol of God. If we have this, God will be with us. And they took it into battle with them. Well, as we travel down through here, we find that even the high priests or the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the Ark of the Covenant there in verse 4. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted, Hallelujah, we got it now. We're going to win now. And when the Philistines heard the noise, they were a little bothered about it. They thought, what in the world? And then they heard about it. In the first ten, the Philistines fought with Israel, was smitten, and they fled every man into his own tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel 30,000 footmen. And the Philistines had the ark. Now they paid dearly for that, and it was brought back. But natural man always wants to have something religious, and that's what they did, but it was not of God. The plainest possible token that the Lord was not with them 
the ark left not the camp. Moses remained, and no doubt many of the Levites. You know why it has all happened? The Lord shares with us in the book of Malachi, chapter 3 and verse 6, I am the Lord, I change not. I am the Lord, and I change not. I'm not going to leave because a whole bunch of people left that are in unbelief. I'm not going to leave because there's a whole bunch of Israel left. I'm not going to leave because they are related to Moses and to Caleb and to Joshua and the rest of the folks that stayed. I'm not going to leave to leave over a family relationship. I'm staying right here because I change not. My word changes not. And you know, he repeated himself in the New Testament there in the book of James when he said, there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. You know, as we get into shorter days and shorter days, the principle still happens. If the sun is out, you can put a mark where your shadow falls And it isn't very long that our shadow has moved from that stake. Why? Because the sun is moving. With God, he is not influenced by the things of this world. He's not influenced by the sun. There is no variableness, neither shadow of turning with him. He did not go with the rebels. He did not leave his word. The church's existence is based on the fact that he does not change. He's promised salvation to his people and he does not change. You know, there are many times in a Christian's life we follow those men and women in the scriptures, we find many times that they sinned and openly sinned before men and yet God never changed his mind about them one iota because they were cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. The Lord God omnipotent reigneth, it shares with us in the book of Revelation chapter 19 and verse 6. And that word omnipotent is used a number of other times in the New Testament, but it is always translated almighty, almighty God, the Lord almighty, omnipotent, all-powerful, unchangeable. He never changes his mind about what he has planned. Therefore, the church is safe. The church is safe. Even though we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. No greater advocate we have than Jesus Christ the righteous. I love what that old preacher brought to us one time. It's great to have a lawyer who is the judge's son. (laughs) Yeah. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Would you turn there with me? As we look at this glorious subject, the Lord changes not and the results of it. In Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, he did not leave the camp. Hebrews chapter 7. He did not leave the camp. He stayed in the camp. Moses stayed in the camp. Other people left. But he did not. Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25, this wonderful scripture for the church, wherefore he is able also, I like this, save to the 
uttermost. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. He saves to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. He saves to the uttermost. Back up just a little bit to the book of Romans, if you would. And we read this passage of scripture out of Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, the word of God shares with us these great blessings, that whole 8th chapter. What a statement about God's immutability. He changes not. He saves those he intends to save. He will lose none of them. Moses, you're here because I'm here. Caleb, you're here because I'm here. Joshua, you're here because I'm here. You'd have left too if it wasn't for me holding here, you here. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. We have that great security. And also, here, verse back up to the verse 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Now, they wanted to, through the scriptures, they wanted to lay many charges against the God's elect, but it didn't matter. God laid no charges against them. All the charges that were laid against God's elect were imputed to Christ on the cross, and he paid for them completely. So now, in the righteousness of Christ, he could so amply say, as he has always said, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. He justified Abel. He justified Noah. He justified Abraham. He justified Moses. He justified David. He justified all the saints in the Old Testament. 7,000 at one time who had not bowed their knee to Baal. He had justified them and no condemnation would come up against them. In the book of Philippians chapter 1, turn with me there in Philippians chapter 1, we have this glorious statement made by Almighty God through through the Apostle Paul, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Being confident. You know, as I see all those folks leaving. Friends, neighbors, relatives of Joshua and Caleb and Moses and Eliezer. And the priests. As they're all leaving to go up on that hill. As they've already been told don't go. But they left anyway. We have those that stayed being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. You know, that's, that's the day that he comes again. That's the day, the, the coming of Christ the second time. It'll all be taken care of up to that day. And then in that glorious day, our bodies will be changed like unto his bodies. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. For by one offering, Hebrews chapter 10, would you turn there with me? Hebrews chapter 10, this is what he could say to Moses, to Joshua and Caleb, to Eliezer, and to the rest of them that stayed there in the camp. He could say this to them in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14, the scripture says, For by one offering he hath, made, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. He's made them perfect. He's perfected them. Why? Because of grace. Because of grace. 
No works have entered into this except the works of Christ. For by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he hath said said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I'll put my laws in their heart, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquity will I remember no more. Joshua, Caleb, the only reason you're not with that mess is I've intervened. The only reason you didn't leave is I didn't let you. The only reason you didn't bow to that is I held you up. I would not let you fall for that. What a glorious thing the Lord shares with us with regard to His eternal purpose in Christ Jesus to save His people from their sins. Now in 1 John, would you turn there with me? 1 John chapter 2. We have a corollary with what happened over there in the book of of uh, Numbers chapter 13 and verse chapter 14. We have here a passage of scripture that shares with us why they left and why the rest didn't leave. In number first John chapter 2, first John chapter 2 and there in verse 19, we have these words. They went out from us. How many thousands left? How many thousands ascended the hill? How many thousands met the Amalekites and the Canaanites? How many thousands ran when the Amalekites and the Canaanites came against them and slew those thousands of footmen? They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they no doubt would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that they were not all of us. What a statement John, the apostle, led by the Holy Spirit, says about what happened in Numbers chapter 13 and chapter 14. They left us. If they had known us, if they had known God, they would not have left, but they didn't know God, so they left. That they might be made manifest, they were not all of us. Not all Israel is of Israel. And finally, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1. Would you look there with me? This is our hope. This is what we have. We're settled in this. My little children. Now that's a term of endearment. The Apostle Paul picks up what the Lord has shared with the church. My little children. These things write I unto you, that ye sin not. Joshua, Caleb, Moses, Eliezer, the rest of them have stayed. They, had that, they said that in their heart. Oh, I wish I didn't sin anymore. I wish I didn't. One preacher said we should wake up every morning asking the Lord, please keep me from sinning today. We know what we'll do though. We know that we are sinners. So, he doesn't stop there. And if any man sin, We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world or all His people wherever they are found in every kindred, nation, people, and tongue. Now, not an argument over the world is important here. 
a discussion over what propitiation, that settles the rest of it. Propitiation means full payment for sin. It's taken care of. And if sin is taken care of, paid for, propitiated for, that person will not go to hell. And if they do, it was not propitiated for. So he's not talking about the whole world without exception. He's talking about the elect out of the world. But the propitiation, how glorious that is. And now the Lord said, I'm not going to leave you for, nor forsake you. I'm staying right here with you. The ark of the covenant of the Lord, nor Moses, left the camp. Brother Mike, if you'll come.